You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica. Episode 14. Beth, I think it is time we talk about carbs and break it down for our listeners. What do you think? I've been avoiding this podcast for some time. Why? I don't, I'm always like, we're doing it. We're going to talk about it. Everybody needs to learn about it. And then I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. But here we are. Yeah. There is a lot to discuss. There is. So I just, I thought I'd do an interview style and ask you these questions that I think our listeners would be interested in hearing because I've learned so much from you over the last five years about carbs, things that I didn't know. And I think maybe we take this knowledge for granted and we do hear questions from our clients often. So let's just first start with what carbs actually are. Can you first explain the two types of carbs? Yes, I can. I will preface this for our listeners that... What I think you're going to do is we're going to start with the science, right? So it's going to be science heavy up front. And then we're going to put it into context of how it shows up in diets and stuff like that. I just want to forewarn everyone. The first five minutes are going to be (laughs) sciencey. So if you want to just skip ahead, that's fine. But I don't want you to skip ahead. I want you to learn about, we're going to (laughs) do, we're going to take a intro to foods and nutrition macro class. We're going to condense it from several days into five minutes. Sound good? Perfect. Okay. So simple carbohydrates are the basic forms of carbohydrate molecules. So we have monosaccharides and disaccharides. So it's like single and two, and those are our basic forms of sugar and how they get absorbed in the small intestine. And then we use glucose and fructose in the body for energy. So they have to get converted down into that so we can use them. But we also have these simple carbohydrates naturally in nature, in food, or created in a food lab to be Mm -hmm. these simple sugars. So we've got sucrose, glucose, this is in no particular order, fructose, lactose, galactose, and maltose. Those last two, no one ever really sees or hears about them, but they are there, a part of our natural food such as in milk and then in fruits and grains and stuff like that. It's very rare that you will just have just fructose or just glucose or just galactose. It's usually a combo of these simple sugars. And so again, like I said, the simple sugars are single and double units of carbons with hydrogen oxygen, which is how we get the word carbohydrates is carbohydrates. So carbons that are hydrated. Yeah. I don't know why I confused the simple and the complex. So thanks for re-explaining. Yeah. But then the other examples of simple sugars is sucrose is table sugar, fructose we find in fruit mostly, but it's in other things as well, like honey and maple syrup. And then we have lactose, which is technically a simple sugar, but the reason why most of us don't have that same glucose response to lactose is because usually the protein and or fat that's accompanied with the dairy product that it's in. So lactose is only found in dairy products. So when you look at a a plain yogurt and it still says it has eight grams of sugar in it, that's the lactose. Correct. When we tell people 
for yogurt, it's look at the added sugar, right? Because that's the difference. So the, the total carb minus the added sugar is what's left of lactose. Correct. Yeah. So those are the simple ones because those are small units of carbohydrates. And then the complex ones are 10 to hundreds of carbon chains long. And those are still comprised of those monosaccharides in various forms. But since they are so long, they're often accompanied by fibers and then they take a longer time to absorb because you have to pull them away from the fibers and then make those chains smaller and smaller until they're the one to two units long and absorbed in the intestine. And that's one of the main differences there is usually the simple sugars have less fiber or other proteins that might be around to slow down how fast they're absorbed or Wait, see, I feel like that's backwards. What do you mean? Well, because the simple sugars are the ones that are coming from whole foods, right? Not always. So if you think about fruit, yes, it's got fiber in it. So we like fruit. Then what happens if you have fruit juice? We take out all the fiber. We take out all the fiber. Okay. So then it's so, just fructose. Right. Okay. But then if we take table sugar versus maple sugar or honey, same amount of simple sugar concentration. The only difference is that we get a little bit of mineral content, but the glucose response, like your blood glucose response would be the same to table sugar, to honey, to maple syrup. So they can be found in whole foods and right. be attached to fibers. So that's why fruit is better versus doing pulverizing, even like applesauce has a tiny bit of fiber left, but not much. So Can you give an example of the complex carb that's accompanied with fiber? Because isn't that usually complex carbs or the more processed foods that have less fiber? No. So complex carbohydrates are also things like whole grains. So you got our like Oatmeal be considered a form of complex carbohydrate. All of those, all of our whole grains, or even like the grains that have been the outer whole has been reduced is still considered a complex carbohydrate because the number of chains are long mm -hmm. as well. And so, so simple or complex could be whole food or processed food. Correct. Okay. That just blew my mind. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. And so I think the, the complex component of it is that it's a multi-structure and usually that multi-structure includes fiber, but not always. Gotcha. Because this is so confusing and has always been confusing to me, even since I took nutrition 101. And you took it again in culinary school. I did. Yeah. My brain just refuses to understand this, but it's fine. So that, that's why I just referred to them as like fast energy versus slow energy. Because it's all just energy. So so simple and complex carbs can be fast or slow energy. Yes. Okay. When we refer to slow energy foods, those are typically the whole foods. Whether they are simple or complex, these are the things that have the fiber in them that are closest to nature that are usually still in their most wholish form. They're like minimally processed mm -hmm. versus fast energy foods are things that are in some way maybe pre-digestible, whether that's a smoothie, 
all whole food ingredients, but it's still been somewhat processed. It makes it more easily digestible in the body. So you're accessing that energy quickly, mm. just maybe crackers or chips or whatever yeah. that stuff that like our body just absorbs pretty quickly. So can you give us an example of what maybe like who is benefiting from fast energy versus slow? So slow and fast energy is a good way to remember and wrap your brain around it a little bit easier than thinking about some more complex carbohydrates, which I think is why people are confused because science, public health talks about simple carbs and complex carbs or whole grains. And that can be a little misleading, particularly when we talk about bread, it's whole grain right. bread, but that's really a fast really carb. Yeah. So I do like this way of explaining it of slow and fast energy. And it is nuanced to some degree. For example, a whole food that is technically a fast energy would be, say somebody wants to work out after work, but it's been a while since lunch. And then they know that it will be a while before dinner. So they need a little something in between. So they have the energy to do their exercise and they're not starving right after they're done. So eating fruit would be a good option because it only takes about 30 to 60 minutes to digest down a piece of fruit because once it's removed from the fiber, your body doesn't have to continue to break down big carbohydrate chains. It's already in these small forms. So then it can just absorb those smaller ones at the small intestine versus if I said, here's some potatoes to eat right before you work out or some oatmeal, it will take you longer to break that down from the fiber break down those fiber, those carbohydrate chains, and then get them down into those absorbable forms. You would need to a lot for at least 90 minutes for you to get the energy from a bowl of oatmeal or something like that. Like a higher fiber. Correct. Yeah. Cause like once that fiber is removed, the body doesn't really have to break it down. It's got those two chains, but by and large, I think that fast energy, when we think about it for the general population, that the, that fast energy mainly comes from things like sugar. So actual sugar, honey syrup, things like that foods that were once whole and pulverized and then formed back into a food product, which would be things like bread, bagels, pasta, stuff like that certain types of rice, which can be slower fast because of how much of a particular type of carb it has in there. But all of those started out as whole wheat kernels, had the fiber outer layer in the most case, not always, because then there's the whole wheat product things, but they still remove some of the fiber, the outer layer out. There's also an omega rich fatty seed in the middle that's taken out. They no longer, it's called an endosperm. They take that out because then if they leave it, then it's not a shelf stable. It becomes rancid. So they kick that sucker out. So we miss those omegas. And then there's all that starchy stuff that's put in between there. So then to make flour, you strip it all out and the seed pulverize into a flour, and then you turn that into a product and then you eat that. And then we, when we eat it, we break it all down really quick because it's basically in, in this smaller, in this different structure. And so then it raises our blood sugar quickly and easily. 
So that's the same with fruit when we put fruit in smoothies. The fiber's there, but it's all pulverized. Correct. Yeah, because this, the blender has done the job of your stomach. In your mouth, right? Chewing, Chewing. is also an important part of your digestion process because we know that there are, there's honestly even like somatic benefits to chewing, but then you're also creating enzymes that are coming from your mouth that help you digest as well. Yeah. You're doing mechanical and chemical digestion in your mouth. The stomach is also doing mechanical and chemical digestion. So you, you don't feel it, but your stomach is literally like gyrating in there <laughs> happy dance yeah to like attempt to break up the food and get those enzymes in between all those molecules of fat and proteins because the proteins like we eat those that will digress just a bit here they're all wound up you got to get them somewhat broken apart and that is with the gyration and then also the stomach acid comes down and can get those enzymes in there to to unfold the proteins. But again, like for the carbohydrates, they get broken down well in the stomach because of the acid, the movement and the enzymes. So it all works together. So smoothies are typically faster and fast energy. Yeah. I think the difference would be that if you had just a fat and a protein, which is not typical for most people that have smoothies. It would basically be something like just coconut milk, the kind from the can and protein powder. It would be sounds the, intense. Just basically a beverage. It's not really. Like it's, that sounds like something that might be medically necessary for some, but I can't imagine most people on average making a smoothie like that. So Right. So usually when you're adding fruit to it, which I'm totally not opposed to it if your body is able to handle that. There are some people that are able to have that load of glucose that quickly and be able to handle it and process it without a spike in the blood sugar. But a lot of people are starting their day often with a huge fruit smoothie. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I I used to do that. And when I stopped doing that, my body totally changed. (laughs) I think it's one of those interesting things where we we think we're doing something that's quote unquote healthy for us because Mm -hmm. we've been told that smoothies are like life-giving drinks. Yeah. Yeah. You Um, don't have to give up the smoothie, but you need to be aware of how much fruit's going into it mm -hmm. because of that response. And that's why particularly doing berries can be more beneficial because there are technically less natural sugars and berries versus say a banana. You can have them. We just got to (laughs) be conscious and aware of the, the how much. And the timing, maybe. So maybe don't drink, chug it right before you go sit down at your desk for eight hours because... Potentially, yeah, because then, yeah, so you can use it. And then also make sure there's some fat in there, whether that's from something like a nut butter, a seed butter, coconut milk, some people do dairy, like nutritional dairy. And then adding, I think it can be helpful to add the protein in there because the protein is what helps us feel full and stay full. And I think that's the other struggle with some of these things that are quick energy. Energy. So we get that spike, we use that energy and then we're down and then we get another signal for hunger. And if the spike was too elevated for us, then blood sugar will come down faster. You have too much of a dip. So then you get that more intense hunger feeling, but really sometimes what will happen is your body will 
be able to readjust and get you back up to a normal level, but you already had the signal for hunger and so people are typically eating by then. Uh, so that can be the challenge there. So I like the, adding the protein of some sort, whatever makes sense for you. So that way you can feel that's that satiation and stay fuller longer and fat the same fat the fat will slow down how fast it gets absorbed to some degree okay before we move on to the more fun topics i want you to cover a little bit more about complex carbs since we've been talking about fast energy carbs what I think is also really interesting about carbohydrates these complex carbs that are turned into fiber is how they're structured and that determines how they're broken down in the body. And then that structure is mimicked in the body and how it gets stored and reused for energy. So for example, complex carbohydrates are composed of amylose and amylopectin. There will not be a test in this, (laughs) which are basically large, long carb chains that are put together differently. So amylose is a spiral like shape and only has two ends. And then amylopectin looks more like coral or deer horns or something that has many small branches coming off of a big branch. And this difference determines how fast we break it down because if the amylose can only have enzymes, it has to have enzymes to break it apart. It doesn't just fall apart because it gets too mushy. It has to have enzymes. So if those enzymes only have two entry points, it takes a lot longer to break that down. So versus amylopectin has all the many points of entry that enzymes can break it down at a time at any one time, which means it will get absorbed faster. An example, short grain rice tends to be higher in amylopectin, so break more entry points for breakdown, compared to long grain rice like jasmine or basmati have lower amounts of it, still there, just less. So therefore, you tend to have a lower rise in glucose with short grain rice versus long grain rice. Which is wild because if you just look at the nutrition facts, it just tells you like, here's the number of carbs and they look very similar. But it is different. Yeah. So we all should have taken nutrition. Yes. And then of course, flour products are higher in the amylopectin as well. And that's because of the restructuring. But if they were whole, there would be an interesting mix of amylose to amylopectin depending on the grain itself. And so I just say flour in general, but that again is nuanced in the type of grain. So wheat versus oats, wheat would have more amylopectin versus oats would have more amylose. Sure. So are we good there? Yes. I'm okay. <laughs> okay. So when the carb chains form back up, you break them all down, you absorb them. And they're in those little small, they're in the one and two carb chains, you absorb them. But then your body will use what it can, what it needs at that time of those glucose and fructose molecules. Then anything it can't use for energy right then will get stored as glycogen, but glycogen is another big, huge carb chain. And it looks like amylopectin. And the reason is because when you are in between meals, you need to get to that energy quickly. Or if you start exercising or something like that, 
you need to use that energy quickly. So then you can break down those chains as needed very quickly, rather than packaging them up as like a spiral shape and it would take longer. So that's very fascinating to me that the na- in nature we have amylopectin, which is easy to digest. And then in our body, we, we store it similarly. We can only store so much glycogen. There is a capacity for that. And then anything beyond that is gets converted into a triglyceride, which is a fat and a carb-like structure. So glycerols, which is, is carby, but not straight carb. And again, it's also branched. So it can be broken down easily and converted back into energy. And this is this the same triglycerides that comes up on your cholesterol labs? Correct. So when we look at cholesterol panels and I see triglycerides, I'm looking for a particular number. I know that you're functioning with carb metabolism for the most part really well if your triglycerides fasting are below 85. So I like them between 75 and 85. When it starts rising above that, I know that your body's having a hard time using all the carbohydrates. So triglycerides ride with carbs. So good. (laughs) Okay. So I've heard you also talk about resistant starch with clients in the past. Tell us what resistant starch is. What the heck are those? Yeah. Those are the starch the starches that defy the odds in the digestive system and don't get absorbed. So they go through untouched, essentially. Basically, I remember it as starch that stayed stuck to the fiber and passed through to the colon and helps feed the microbiome. They really do help create nice food source for our beneficial bacteria that aren't available in probiotics. You have to cultivate and feed these Wait, because I know that our listeners are going to ask this. So does that mean that these don't count? These carbs don't count? Well, so there's no food that is straight resistant carbohydrate. Like you wouldn't absorb any of it. It has a much, yeah, it has a much higher amount of starches that you wouldn't fully absorb. Gotcha. And I think there potentially could be some companies that have figured this out and put it on the label to be like neck. This might be where some of the neck carbs come from because they'll take out fiber and if they know they have resistant starches, but I don't really know. I try not to get all bogged down in that. Yeah. So just kind of think about resistant starches. Okay. So what okay. foods have resistant starch? Unripened bananas still has that green tint to it as the, it turns from green to yellow. The resistant starches become regular starch and fructose. Potatoes and rice that have been cooked and then cooled. You can reheat them so you can eat them, but you can only reheat them to just warm. So it will retain the resistant starch. If you like get them really hot, then that fiber breaks down a little differently. And so there's no longer resistant starch. When I suggest potato salad as a helpful option, people are like, what? Yeah. And it, it is, it's a good source of resistant starch. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. You can even buy resistant starch as a powder. Bob's Red Mill makes it and it's just potato flour basically. Yeah. So I'd recommend just getting it from food because that way you just have it. Yeah. Not many people would eat cold rice. Would you? I wouldn't. I tried it once. 
I don't love a cold rice. Yeah. If it's leftover fried rice from Chinese takeout, I'll eat that cold. No, I don't like the texture of a cold rice. <laughs> not but all the rest of it, no, I'm just not going to do it. So there's other ways I can get resistance like starch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, yeah, so you would just barely reheat that, warm it to retain the, the uh, resistance starch. Tiger nuts? Never heard of them. They're hard to find, but they're out there. There's some other weird nuts that my husband orders have a lot of resistant starch in them. I don't even know what they're called. They are not very tasty. He loves them. Leave it to Bill to find the nuts nobody's heard of. Yeah, they're they're interesting. I'll eat one, and then I'm like, what? That's enough. There's it's just got a texture I don't love. Beans do have resistant starch, particularly white beans like Great Northern and or cannellini beans. Love the bean. Love the be- love those beans. And that's the thing is, I feel like beans got really demonized in the anti-carb world. Lentils, some whole grains like oats, but. But the amount of risk resistant starch does go down as you make it faster to cook, which means like still cut versus quick cook oats. So the quick cook oats would have less of that in there. Which is what you give I give my baby when he started foods, just like something that's slightly more easily digestible. Correct. Yeah, because he's still working on developing all of his enzymes and all of that. Not anymore. Now he eats like a full human, but so does that cover all of the molecular structure? I'm good. My ADD can only handle so much science in one sitting. I know. I tell you, it is. I agree. Maybe I think this is why I avoided one because I know all of it. It's there. It's living in a folder in your brain. But it's living in a folder in my brain. And I have to be able to be like, okay, we got to go in this folder and we got to summarize it in a way that makes sense outside of your brain. Yeah. Which can be tricky. (laughs) My main takeaway from this is when we talked about this last week with opposing beliefs, but just the all or nothing thinking and how our brain wants to categorize things as good or bad. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it literally is so much more complex with that. And we can see this as an example, just by learning about the structure of carbohydrates that like, it doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just, these are what they are. Yeah. So of course I simplified it. So that way we can all wrap our head around it, but there's much more to it, but I think as long as you can just get the gist of fast and slow carbs, you know, eat things whole as much as you can would be good. So try to avoid sugar and things that were once whole and then pulverized into another, a new shape. That would be the best. And they right. can all of course be included in our diet, but generally as a society, I think it'd be best if we just tur- turned the dial back just a little bit. <laughs> So I realized why, you know, the sugar in the flour creates such a blood sugar spike is because you have both the amylopectin amylopectin from the flour and the simple sugar. So it just breaks down and it's absorbed so fast. Yeah. That's all we're trying to manage. It's just, we just want to have a healthy level of blood sugar. Yeah. And that, that combo there of that flour sugar there, you know, is what also lights up dopamine in the brain. So we've got... It's a double whammy. It's physical and it's mental, emotional, for sure. Correct, correct. Okay. Okay, let's switch gears a bit and let's talk about carbs and diet culture. I am dragging you through the mud on this, but I can't wait to hear what people think of this. Do you have any reasons why diets teach us that carbs should be reduced if not avoided altogether? Yeah, by and large, what I think it is that we should not be avoiding carbs altogether. There's very few instances where that might not be the case, but 
what we need to focus on is what is the kind of carbohydrates that we're eating and the how much of them. And then take that and put it into the context of your life. For example, the type and amount of movement that you do. What is your general metabolic health? What is the type of fuel that you need to feel good on? For example, if you lift heavy weights or are trying to gain muscle, you need carbs for that function. Those carbs fuel that source or fuel that type of exercise. We use carbohydrates for what's called anaerobic exercises, which is lifting heavy weights, doing sprinting type activities, those um, short, quick bursts of movement versus slow endurance type of exercise is more of the aerobic and it primarily uses fat at some point for energy. We still do use carbohydrates. Don't get me wrong, but we are able to utilize fat resources for slow aerobic endurance type exercise. The other thing is if you're trying to gain muscle mass, you need the carbs because you need insulin to increase because that helps to signal the increase in gaining and creating muscle. So insulin makes things grow and it can make muscle grow or it can make fat tissue grow. Just depends on how you're utilizing your energy that you're bringing in. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting, right? Because we know that bodybuilders know this, which is why they go through growth periods and then like shred periods, because it can be actually challenging for your body to be burning fat while lifting heavy weights while you're increasing insulin when you're growing muscle, you're also adding slight amounts of fat with it. Correct. Yes. So they will go through periods where they are gaining muscle and they're also gaining some fat um, in that signaling. And then if they have, say they have a competition or for their own personal reasons, like maybe they don't even compete, they do, they'll go through like a cutting phase, which then they do take out their heavy carb intakes. And then they're using the fat for fuel and then you, they, you can get that. Then you can see all the muscle through. Can you share a quick example of if we look at athletes, what, how are they different? Yeah. Okay. So the best example I can think of is in runners. Cause it's just how my brain works. So we used to be runner sprinters think about what their body looks like versus long distance runners. So the sprinters are very muscular have huge power muscles. And then you look at long distance runners who are very thin. They have muscles, but it's very thin and lean. And so they definitely look like different types of people. And so that's because they're using different energy sources. The sprinters need that power. So they have that higher muscle mass and they are using carbs differently than the long distance runners. Okay. So since we've talked about using carbs and insulin, can you tell us a little bit about insulin resistance? Yeah. It's essentially that your cell no longer recognizes that the insulin signal at the cell wall to, it won't let glucose in. So the cell's like, is somebody there? I don't really see you. So that key is turned off and then glucose doesn't get in. And so then the mitochondria is not getting the glucose that it needs to make ATP. So it says, I'm still hungry. Can you please feed me? And then you eat more food, which usually includes more carbohydrates. And then your glucose goes up, insulin goes up. 
but the cell's still not responding. So it's this whole feed forward loop of glucose and insulin going up and the cells not getting fully what they need. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and it's not diabetes, right? It's just a different function. It can be. It, it can often insulin resistance will precede diabetes because you've got both because you're not able to ever bring that blood sugar down. And so now it's there. So often insulin resistance precedes it. Yeah. So in these cases, we are looking at carbs and reducing carbs, but correct. Yeah. you have to take them away. No, I don't take them away in, in insulin resistant clients or in my type two diabetes patients either. We just take them down. I really work on the types and amount and base it around their day of activity. And I really encourage people to increase activity, particularly things like weight bearing activity, so they can increase their insulin sensitivity and use the glucose that is there. So when we do weight bearing activity, we're actually reconditioning the receptors to function again. And we'll hear the mess, start hearing the message again and having insulin be heard and let the glucose in. Cool. I love that. Okay. So what are things that can happen if you're over restricting carbs long-term? Yeah. You and I both have seen clients that have come to us after doing keto or very low carb diets and will say that they they lost hair. They have what they call like post-traumatic keto dieting because they've they lost hair or they had their hormones went crazy. And again, it's hard to say what really happens. We weren't there with them on that part of their journey. But as I mentioned before, we use carbs for exercise. Our brain uses it as well. So the brain can switch between glucose and ketone, but it's it will, it pref- preferential is actually glucose. But again, we have metabolic flexibility within our brains. So we can use both the hormones like serotonin is largely regulated by carbohydrate intake. So oftentimes, particularly in females, when they go low carb, they can have more depressed feelings, feeling more sad because uh, serotonin is regulated a lot by carbohydrates. If it goes too low for a long period of time, it can alter a thyroid function, which is where you might start to see that hair loss. And then also when people take carbs out, it seems like a good bit of vegetables go out with it too. (laughs) So it just seems like all sources of carbs go, I don't know. Those foods will get lost or things like beans or lentils. All those foods are great sources of fiber, vitamins, minerals. And so we're not getting those and we need to function optimally, whether we're using fats or carbs for, as our energy source. And, and I'm not anti ketones for energy. We use them. So they're not bad. And some people do, as I mentioned before, really well on them. The ketogenic diet really came about from epileptic patients. And so, cause the brain is very fatty. And so it was able to use ketones efficiently to cut down on, on the number of epileptic episodes. I have heard of a few clients that did really well on ketogenic that tended to be more depressed. And so it really helped their neurotransmitter function. But what I think gets 
gets lost in all of this is of the debate of what's the best diet for everyone is that we really need to go back to, we need to be metabolically flexible and you stop demonizing whole groups of food because we do need to be able to switch back and forth between carbs and fat for energy and reduce our processed foods. It's really the bottom line here is let's stop demonizing whole groups of foods. We can eat a little bit of everything, but our real problem is how much of the processed foods we eat. Amen. And then <laughs> what about protein? Because we haven't really talked yeah, about Has protein ever been demonized? I, not in my lifetime, I don't know. I don't remember. Not that I can think. Yes. In, I mean, I guess types, like maybe. Yes. So we think, yes, there have been. I'm sure I can circle back to that. But when we talk about protein for energy, we can do it. We can use protein for energy, but it's very expensive in terms of it takes a lot of energy to convert protein into glucose and use that for energy creation. So it's a last resort for the body. In keto, there is a belief that it's high fat and high protein, but it's not. It's actually moderate, low, moderate forms of calories from proteins, about 10 to 15% of your calorie needs should come from protein. 75% ish should come from fat. And then the rest can be from carbs, which I hope are all vegetable carbs. And so if you are getting too much protein, it will convert it to glucose to use for energy. And so you aren't going to stay into the keto range as often as you think you are or are trying to and you using the ketones slash fat for energy. So that's what we talk about all the time where people think they're doing keto, but, but most people keto. are not. That's and so you have to, we have to think about what is keto really? Cause we just, again, just do, a, Oh, that sounds great. High fat, blah, blah. And then, then, but they don't really think about the true logistics of it. So, yeah, but I would say that the protein gets demonized in, in certain plant-based diets. So for example, it's mostly like animal proteins get demonized in that. So, and yeah, there's a couple of books that I have that are very plant focused and they are very high carbohydrate diets and people do get well on them. But the, again, the focus is on even on those books for high carb is that it's plants, right? It's mostly whole foods, whole foods and plants. And so then it's again, people, can we just eat as many whole foods as possible? What is the Michael Pollan quote? Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. So simple. <laughs> I personally don't like diet math. Either. It's just numbers and we don't necessarily, we don't really make people count calories or macros or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But if we had to put a number that someone could walk away with of total consumed carbs, just like for the average woman who's mild to moderately active, I don't know. What do you think is a good starting point just to explore and see if that's helpful or not? hundred grams. Great. <laughs> I think a hundred grams, really. That's a good place to start. And then you can go up and down from there. And it's all based on your needs, your energy levels. And when I say hundred grams, that does not include vegetables. It includes starchy vegetables, but it does not include. Oh, so then really it's 150 with your vegetables. Yes. 130 to 150. Because if you're actually eating six to eight cups of vegetables, that's somewhere between 30 to 50. So So I say start at 100 grams of 
starchy things and go and play around with that. And that includes fruit, root vegetables, grains, milk, beans, even nuts and seeds, nuts and seeds have some, not a lot. So it includes all of that. It just does not include your true protein only source and vegetables like broccoli, green beans. Vegetables are carbs. They are carbs. Correct. That great segue to the next question. This is an actual question um, I've heard from more than one client, really. But it's like, so what about foods that are carb substitutes? Like, or even just food substitutes where, for example, cauliflower chips. Mm-hmm. Are they carbs or are they vegetables? They're are they chips or are they vegetables? They're carbs. Look, look at the ingredients. So the ingredients to most of the cauliflower chips... The first ingredient is cosfa flour, not cauliflower. If the first ingredient is cauliflower and then a little bit of some seasoning or whatever, then sure. I eat those cauliflower tortilla thins or sandwich thins or whatever they are. I don't consider them a source of vegetable for the day. Yes, they are very low in carbohydrates and yes, they are tortillas, but to me, that doesn't count as getting my vegetable in. I eat them not because I'm trying to avoid carbohydrates. It's just, I like to change things up and I actually like the taste of them, but I put carbs with them. I eat beans and eggs and salad greens and stuff like that. Um, it's all part of my big old breakfast. Okay. So then, yeah. What about things like almond flour tortillas or lentil pasta? They are, they are carbs. But what are the benefits of the types of foods over the traditional versions of them? And is it quote unquote worth it? Or are these just diet foods in disguise? What is your take on that? I do encourage people to use things like the almond flour tortillas or the cosfa. I can't think the cosfa ones are closer to flour. But almond tortillas, for example, is 13 grams, 15 grams, somewhere in that neighborhood of carbs for two tortillas versus if you did a flour tortilla of the same size, it would be about 15 to 18 grams of carbohydrates for one. So it is technically less carbohydrates, but again, it was an almond that you pulverized and then to that. So you're still going to digest and absorb it faster than you would if you just ate some almonds. So I like to think of them as They are helpful when we need to be concerned about how our body responds to blood sugar spikes and also for people that cannot, that need to have gluten-free foods because they have gluten sensitivities or intolerances. Or in my husband's case, we're like a corn-free family. Right. Sometimes we have a sensitivity. Right. Right. And I really do to recommend lentil, red lentil pasta for people because it does have, has like 20 grams of protein in it. And literally the ingredients are red lentil pasta and water or red lentils Mm -hmm. and water. It does have still a good amount of carbohydrates in it, but it still has fiber in it and it's still, and it does have a good amount of protein. I think it's 20 grams or something like that. So you do eat less of it because you do feel more satiated and, and it does help to lower that and that glucose spike. And so then it is a better metabolic response to it than say, regular pasta. And we use it mostly, we started because it was all, because it was 
gluten-free. Gluten yeah. And it, and once we were, cause before it was only the brown rice pasta, which is mm -hmm. essentially just, it's the same. It absorbs just quickly as regular. Which is also pasta. a point that some people don't realize is just because something is gluten-free doesn't mean that it's low carb. Correct. There's oodles amounts of things. There's a lot of gluten-free foods and it's just processed as the regular gluten or whatever version. So but earlier we were talking about the cauliflower chips because you were reading the ingredients and you were like, this is like greenwashing because the marketing really, this is like why people are confused. Yes. Like, is this it's a cauliflower pretzels, which we buy because my daughter loves pretzels. She is gluten-free. So we buy them, but it's Kosovo flour. It's most, it's a carb. Yeah. And it's just the only reason why we buy them is because we just get tired of buying the gluten. So we just change the brands up. So we're still, I'm still buying her fast carbs. Right. And we're, yeah. And I don't pretend that like she can eat them, a lot of them, and that it's healthy for her. Notice that we're like not talking about whether these things are good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. It's just these are different types of carbohydrate foods. We can incorporate them all. And we definitely just want you to focus mostly on those whole foods, mostly veggies. And in order to maintain optimal health, we do have to keep an eye on some of this. It doesn't mean that we have to over restrict or count calories or count carbs. It's just finding that balance, which I know, I don't know if balance is even a real thing, but that's my job is helping my clients figure out like, yeah, how do I include some of these things, but then also include all the other things. I agree. What is the context of your life? How is your body functioning now? And how do you want it to function? And I just want people to just eat more real food. That's it. And it's like in the process, we try to take the drama out of it. So we don't have to make up stories about ourselves or our character. That's why I wanted to finally explain what carbs are for you to actually know what carbohydrates are so you can think for yourself. And if you see a diet or you see an eating plan, you can be quite start to use your own brain to question, is this really healthy or is this just diet culture wrapped up in a new label. Yes. Each week, we keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture. These are often the subtle things you might not notice, which is why we're sharing it with you. Beth, what do you have for us this week? Okay. I have an ad for a meal as a meal delivery company. And I get many different, the same company, but I'll get different ads. So the meals are based for people that are very into fitness. And it almost looks like they're targeting the CrossFit culture. That's what it looks like to me. And the one ad that I really did was there was a woman who was probably in her early thirties, potentially. And she was wearing her those clothes that you typically see of CrossFit at CrossFit, small shorts type stuff. Anyways, really cute. It's really can move and all that stuff. And then, so she was using, you know, heating up her meal. And then on the floor was her young child who was sitting up and playing on the floor right there. And it was to me, it didn't sit well because it perpetuates this thinking that 
we should have our bodies back to this very fit state within a year or less after having children. As if my body looked like that before. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And some people do have bodies like that before. Yes. Yes. I think it's definitely promoting snapback culture and snapback culture. Have you heard that? No, but I like it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't. I like the context that you think. No, is, I know, yeah. I know, but I like that it has a thing. It has a snappy. I don't like the meaning behind it. Let me <laughs> be real clear. But I like that it has people have created something around it. Like we've created diet culture. I don't like diet culture, but I talk about it. Same thing. Right. Yeah. So now we yeah, have so a, a way to you can yeah. be like snap yep. back is okay. You better snap your body back. Correct. Right. It was like two weeks after you give birth, which is just so challenging. <laughs> and even you get the clear at what six weeks to start moving your body, but for most women at six weeks, like you may or may not be there mentally, emotionally, physically. It could take four months, six months, a year. I feel like I'm a year postpartum now and I'm just now starting to like really be able to put that as a priority. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's not even a matter of whether or not you can do that. It's like physically, do you even have the time? Do you have the desire? Maybe you don't have the desire and that's okay. So that's right. I don't know. Yeah. I say screw, screw the snapback culture. I agree. I don't like it. Yeah. You do need time. I wish that I had saved it, but I did not. But I follow a, a yoga person who I love very much. And she had posted on hers, which was in obviously in defense of snapback culture about what, where bodies are in this healing process. And I believe actually it was really more about family time, paid family leave um, in response to something that's up about that. And, but it was like, this is what your body is doing for this amount of time. And so why are we expected to go back to work within a week to six weeks? Because we're not, we haven't even fully healed. We're still massively, whether you had a C-section or natural, still healing on the inside. We just don't see it. So it's just was like, if you had that same wound on your back, people would be like, oh my gosh, you need to rest and all this other stuff. But because we can't see it. Yeah. And yeah. And like you said, some people can do it quickly. Yes. It's rare, but yes. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm not here to be against the people that can do it. It's just, I don't think it should be the norm or the expectation that we should. It just perpetuates the idea of, oh, this is maybe what I should be doing or what I should be looking like at this point in Mm -hmm. my life when there is no should. Correct. I will say in defense of it, the meals did look good. good. I was like, oh, I, I would actually eat that. It's balanced. It's got all the things. I don't know what it actually tastes like, but I was... I didn't like the message of the very fit. Yeah. It's that aspirational. It's at what point is aspirational really inspirational or is it damaging? Yeah. Cause the ad would have been just fine with her by herself. We didn't need the kid yeah. on the floor or make the kid two or three. And it was just very subtle and it's uh, most people wouldn't even notice. And that's the thing is that it's so tricky subtle. and so subtle that we don't notice that is the message that we are given. And so that's why I want to talk about it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing. 
I sure hope we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. We are taking a little holiday break and we'll see you back here January 4th. Bye everyone. Have a great holiday season. Happy holidays and happy new year. Oh, 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 oh,